The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! back welcome to they must be destroyed on site episode 94 and we're back talking some more crime movies uh this time we're going to be talking bring me the head of alfredo garcia from 1974 i am your host lee why because it feels so goddamn good russell and i'm joined by my co-host daniel you guys are definitely on my shit list harper how are you doing sir i'm doing well and i thought you were gonna go uh, give me a double jack and coke <laughs> I wouldn't want to drink that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to drink quite a few Jack and Cokes in my day. I'm not. I'm not proud. Mm. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what uh, Benny is uh, drinking throughout the entire film. It's either vodka or tequila, one or the other. I was assuming it was a uh, a clear tequila. That was kind of my my go to. You know. Oh man. One of the Cuervo or one of the uh, you know. Yeah, and we've not that we've talked too much about alcohol in our lives or anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we do have a few uh, comments here, and I'll just get to them really quick. We have a uh, couple on our YouTube videos because uh, I was negligent in getting some of our past episodes up on YouTube in the last couple of weeks, and I finally did, and then we got some CB Fall comments. For our episode on The Driver, he says, amazing podcast. For our episode on Fargo, he says, excellent and crazy reviews about this movie. I, awesome. I, I don't. I don't know that uh, if those two comments have been reversed on terms of the movies. I don't know that I would have known the difference. Quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what was crazy about our, our reviews of uh, Fargo, but uh, it was probably Jack's presence. I would assume that would that would be the, the thing. A crazy British man and his weird ideas about film. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and on our episode for a simple plan uh someone going by the name Earthman said thought i was the only one who loves this movie excellent job fellas i enjoyed this very much well thank you very much uh so we can move on to what we've watched in the last little while and uh, i'll go to you first there daniel sure i've been watching the new mystery science theater 3000 oh so have i oh nice so we could talk about that what how are you and how are you finding the new mystery science theater 3000 i'm not enjoying it <laughs> but then again, uh, this is coming from a person who wasn't a fan of the first uh, series. So Sure, how far I, did you get? I, I started with the first episode, I skipped a couple, and went straight to Star Crash. And I didn't enjoy anything on either of those episodes. So I watched both of them all the way through, too, by the way. But I didn't enjoy anything <laughs> on either one. Of, I, I, I guess maybe Mystery Science Theater just isn't for me, I guess. It's just not my type of humor. I just don't like it. I don't find the jokes land at all, and I've, I felt, I mean, at least in the original series, sometimes some of the skits and the jokes would land for me a little bit, mm -hmm. but here, nothing is landing for me at all. It's just like, oh god, this is cringeworthy almost. I actually, someone who is kind of a casual fan of the original, and by casual fan, I mean today I'm kind of like, oh, that's kind of, I mean, we've talked a little bit about Mystery Science Theater. On our Kitten with a Whip episode, we talked a little bit about it. 
And right. I feel like, uh, you know, I went through a period where I was kind of a, a big fan of it. It really is a show that when it works, it really works, and when it doesn't, it really doesn't. So it's, it's, it's definitely got the, a very hit-or-miss quality to it, and most of it is just kind of like, ah, eh, that was fine, you know. I will say the second episode in particular, there was a portion of that that had me literally crying laughing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know, and probably not even, like, if I explain the joke to you, it's not even that funny. It's just the experience of watching it for me literally just, it, it literally put me in tears. If you watched the first one and didn't didn't find it, because I thought the first two were really quite good, so if you watched Streptilicus mm-hmm. and were not a fan of it, then, you know, I get it. You know, it's not for you. I will say that I was really skeptical of it, and uh, it ended up being good enough to kind of justify itself in my mind. Um, it did mm-hmm. kind of put me back in that time period when I was a big fan of it and kind of going, oh, yeah, I kind of I kind of get why this exists, whereas a lot of these kind of remakes and reboots and everything, it just kind of goes like, yeah, I don't I don't care. Even though it's pandering to me, I don't care. This panders to me in ways that I enjoy. So I, at least I have well, to admit that as somebody who went through a period of being a big fan, it satisfies that itch. But it is a little bit hit or miss. I've watched through Star Crash. I've watched all of them up through Star Crash, and it's been a... Uh, yes, I've been enjoying sitting and kind of watching one in the evenings before I go to bed. But it hasn't been something that I've been like obsessed with. It's just been like, oh, this is fun. When it's over, it's over. It was a crowdfunded return, any anyway. So I mean, if it's if it's going to pander to anyone, it's going to pander to the people who liked the first one. I mean, that's that's who it's for. That's that's who backed it. So uh, I mean, you know, if you, if you like it, you like it. That's great. I mean, I I just I'm just not a big fan. So it's like eh, I don't need to watch the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, if you if you watched Reptilicus and and weren't on board with it, then that's been that was the best one so far, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that uh, one of the things that I admire about it. I mean, I'll give I'll give you one more thing I admire, and then one thing that like kind of pisses me off, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. The one thing that I've really admired is that they actually picked movies that are fairly watchable, which yeah. definitely affects the uh, my experience of watching it because a lot of the old show, they just kind of pick stuff that was just completely stupid (laughs) um yeah and when the movie itself is completely unwatchable it's hard to even watch the the riff version of it you know whereas with the uh the new ones the first i mean six episodes or so are all movies that are like i would sit and kind of watch this anyway and so the jokes just kind of even when the jokes aren't necessarily landing i'm just kind of watching the movie the kind of more negative thing is uh it was one thing to do like all the special effects that looked like they were made for $4 when they were actually made for $4 okay. made by, by 15 people. Now that they've actually got like a cast and crew of you know, nearly 100 people in the credits, and uh, you can definitely tell that these are super talented people who are kind of slumming it, the like shitty production values kind of it comes across as, uh, I mean, it's pandering. I mean, it's, it's openly pandering yeah. at that point, and um, it does lose a little bit of its charm that way. Again, as I say, it was uh, it's definitely enjoyable. I will definitely keep watching it, and I plan on... Um, I mean, it's got Felicia Day and Patton Oswalt, and anything with those two people is not going to be entirely bad regardless. But um, I think it's kind of worthy a worthy remake of the original. But again, if you're not, if you're not a fan of it, then you're just not going to be a fan of it. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> so yay, if, if you needed this podcast to tell you that Mystery Science Theater 3000 is back, and you were a fan of it before, then I don't know why you're here in the first place but i'm i'm not hating it so go uh and i think there's still a shit ton of the original episodes on uh, shout factory tv's uh, free streaming service as well yep. 
if you want to go check those including out, so, yeah. the kitten with a whip episode which i looked up today the kitten with a whip right. episode is up on youtube so uh, i watched a little bit of that just to uh just to see what it was and i'm like oh yeah this is uh kind of what i expected it to be you know watching 10 minutes <laughs> of it uh we'll see maybe i'll maybe i'll sit down and watch it one of these days but um it did. It rekindled a little bit my uh, my my enjoyment of the show, and I'm enjoying that. It's not an amazing experience. I think it, Mystery Science Theater is sort of a like you kind of had to be. You kind of have to find it at that particular age, you know, sort of sort of phenomenon. I think it mm-hmm. it is like you have to kind of come to this in a particular time and in a particular place in order to really kind of get why it's enjoyable. See, I can't imagine being like my age now and sitting to watch this for the first time and getting much out of it. You know, I feel like it's you know right. it's kind of reminding me of like oh right I remember being eighteen or nineteen and enjoying it. Um, yeah, well, it's just doing now what everybody, right? Whoever ripped them off does. I mean, know, right, so. right. I mean, this is it's kind of what we do is talk about old movies that sometimes suck and talk about why they suck. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah. yeah. A couple things I watched. First thing I'll mention, and I'm not going to really describe the plot or say why it's so good, but I'll just say uh, Get Out is probably the best movie of the year so far that I've seen. Not just best horror movie, just flat out best movie I've seen this year. It's fucking amazing. It goes in directions. Totally didn't expect. If you hear the like the synopsis or the premise, you kind of think to yourself, okay, I know where this is going to go. I know what its bent is going to be, you know, what, what it's going to say about certain people. Kind of flips the script a little bit in a really interesting way, and it's probably one of the most intelligent horror movies I've ever seen. And I was just constantly surprised by where it went. So uh, I'll just I'll just say that if you haven't seen Get Out yet, fucking see it. It's really really good. And the other one I watched is called The Void, and it's a Canadian made one from uh, the guys from Astron Six who did uh, the editor, which was on one of my uh, best of the year lists uh, last couple years. Well, it's not from Astron Six, but it's a couple guys from Astron Six who've sort of broken off to do their own thing. It was a crowdfunded thing that I put $20 into like a couple years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, it's not bad. It's one of those films that sort of, you know, wears its influences on its sleeve, but it doesn't show off that, hey, I know all this stuff about old horror movies and I'm just going to recycle it and throw it in your face. It's much more actually trying to work within the genre that you can sort of argue that people like Fulci and Carpenter sort of created. So it's trying to do something a bit more original within that those sort of uh, confines. Mostly successful. It's low budget kind of hurts it a little bit in that its its lighting is really bad. So I, I feel like they were trying to um, maybe keep the lighting down to like to sort of hide the loose ends and the seams in the film when they really shouldn't have because their practical effects kind of get hurt by it because it's all practical effects. Yeah, it's not bad. It's a good little good little horror film. It's kind of the victim of being just an okay little horror film in the last two years where horror films have just been fucking awesome and hitting box office records and shit like that. So, But it's worth checking out. Yeah, that sounds interesting. You say it's, like, dark. Is that a... I mean, do you think that they just ran into the technical problem of, like, they saw the... the, the they wanted to kind of hide their practical effects a little bit? And just like turn the lights down, or do you think they were going for atmospheric and just landed on dingy? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they were kind of like, okay, we we have all these practical effects, and we gotta kind of shield them a little bit because even though they look pretty good, we're still a budget. Yeah fucking film also they're yeah they were going for atmosphere like it's kind of a siege narrative kind of thing because all these people are trapped in a 
in a hospital, so it's kind of like uh, John Carpenter, like our uh, Salt on Precinct Thirteen. So it's got that sort of vibe to it, uh, and then it's got all this uh, interdimensional hoo ha and all this other stuff too going on in it. I'd actually like to know if it was a conscious decision to make it so dark because it's like at times really dark where you can barely tell what's going on in some scenes. So it kind of hurts the film in that that way. Yeah, no, I, I get that completely, and. Um... I think that, I mean, I think some of these old uh, films are kind of designed to do that, you know, to where, I mean, it feels like that mm-hmm. that's a deliberate stylistic choice just to kind of make it super dark. But then, especially watching it on a computer monitor or on a television as opposed to in a theater, I think that it just becomes incomprehensible. Um, I mean, that's one of the central yeah. things about, uh, I know we've, I've bitched about this movie before on this podcast, Blade Runner. One of my bitch things about Blade Runner is that it's just too fucking dark, man. It is too fucking dark. I can't. There's some mm-hmm. gorgeous stuff in it, and then there's, like, half the movie, I don't know what the fuck is going on in that movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've watched in the last oh, little while. I so remembered uh, when we were, before we started recording, I said that there was something that I watched, and I couldn't remember what it was. And now you mentioned Assault on Precinct 13. I did not see Assault on Precinct 13, but I did see The Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, did you? The original? I did. The original, yeah. yeah. What'd you think of um, it? That's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, it might go on my best of the year list, honestly. Um, nice. I had never seen it until uh, this week, or I guess last week. We, it's been two weeks since we recorded, so. Um, no, I sat down. It was on Amazon uh, Prime. I just, you know, put it on one night. I, it was one of those, yeah, I'll watch half of it and then watch the other half tomorrow, and then, like, stayed up late when I had to work the next day and watch the whole fucking movie. Wow, it's a really effective thriller. Um, I could not think that a, a movie about taking a New York subway car hostage would be mm-hmm. as effective as it is, you know, because that's that's this really um, kind of bizarre thing. I hope we actually cover this at some point. Um, Walter Matthau is great in it. Um, this yep. is this is a, a legitimate classic for a reason. Um, I would definitely recommend people seeing that. And I feel ashamed that I got to be 37 years old and had not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I it was only like maybe three or four years ago that I actually saw it for the first time okay. too. So, okay, so I feel um, less bad. Yeah, because I, I wanted because I actually saw the remake first, and I was oh. like, okay, well, the original has to be better than this piece of shit. So, <laughs> who's in the remake? Is that John Travolta? I seem to remember John, that being John Travolta. Yeah, John Travolta and uh, Denzel Washington. Oh God, who plays who? Uh, John Travolta's in the bad guys. Uh, of course, he is. Yeah, he's and, he's the bad guy. And then Denzel, Denzel Washington is Walter Matthau. Yeah, because when I think Walter Matthau, who do I who do I cast? For the new Walter Matthau, I think Denzel um, Washington. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I I would probably lean towards like a more of a nondescript, normal looking guy who doesn't look kind of like a dashing movie star so much. Right. So I'd, you know, I'd, I'd probably go with like uh, uh, William H Macy or something like that. But who knows? Or um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Of course, he's now dead. But you know, right? Like that would have. Well, Hoffman might work as the bad guy too, because I I like his bad guy roles. Oh yeah, his, sure. Yeah. Or Macy might work as the bad guy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and actually any recasting of that movie wouldn't have helped it though. It's just not that good. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I saw, uh, which I'll mention here. I watched uh, on Netflix Officer Down. Down. D O W N E. This is a movie. Um, just knew nothing about it, he'd click on it. This is kind of sort of advertised as a 
immortal cop who uh, you know goes around killing bad guys and then comes back to life. It's not. It's it's a movie about a cop who he dies and then they bring him back to the station and they bring him back to life through this like magical technology which they go into way more detail than they need to on and then he goes back out and it's really stupid and if I tell you that it was directed by one of the guys from Slipknot you'll understand how stupid it is <laughs> um, it's exactly that movie it's directed by a guy from Slipknot um, so um, yeah wow, so does everyone in the cast wear weird masks or uh, a lot of them do um, more than, more than... Ser- like, seriously? No, they don't really wear weird masks, okay. but th- there are lots of weird costumes. Um, there's a, the lead is a guy, like, just to tell you the sort of sense of humor of the film, it was aggressively stupid, and not even the action wasn't even very good. Like, I was yeah. kind of like, well, I'm okay with this being stupid if it's kind of like balls to the wall crazy with a lot of cool action. Um, there's a little bit of cool gore. There's some, like, you know, cutting body parts off and that sort of thing. But, man, that was... A complete waste of like 85 minutes of my time except that i decided to watch it all just so i could talk about it on this podcast and then nearly <laughs> forgot about it so yeah i saw that it's stupid it looks like a slipknot video that's what it looks like oh man so. it, 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 it kind of sounds like it's like a really bad ripoff of like um shoot 'em up or um uh, uh the crank movies yeah which, you I know mean, at it's... least have a really good sense of humor about themselves right i mean this is this is i mean it it simultaneously is like it doesn't take itself... I mean, at for, it, A, it's based on a, a, a graphic novel, which I was kind right. of like, okay, maybe the graphic novel has some, like, ideas behind it, because they are trying to go for this, like, idea about, like, authoritarian cops and, you know, kind of like the... You know, the, like this kind of over-the-top over the kind of idea about, like, who cops are and who they save. Really, they just destroy everything when they show up. Mm-hmm. Um, they are kind of going for that. A little bit at first, and then it just kind of devolves into this really stupid, like, coming of, like, the rookie cop who's following Officer Down around, and, like, he has to, like, prove himself sort of narrative, so it gets really stupid. You're not even following around the main character anymore, and the main character, like, by definition doesn't have any, like, personality because he doesn't seem to really know where he is, except they try to build pathos about I mean, I don't know, it's like, it's trying to do, like, five different things, it's doing none of them particularly well. So it's a bad ripoff of the new Judge Dredd movie as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of made me think like somebody saw Rob Zombie movies, but then didn't like didn't even understand how to do Rob Zombie movies. Oh, uh. that that was kind of like it, it. I mean, it just again, it's directed by a guy from Slipknot, and that's all you need to know about the film. Yeah, man. that's what it looks like. That I might actually have to check that out. That yeah. sounds really sad. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. There is in in this like ninety one minute movie. There's probably twenty minutes worth of like reasonably decent. Okay, this was not a complete waste of my time, kind of thing. You know, right? And most of it's at the beginning before they actually explain the premise. So you know. <laughs> so yeah, okay. We'll uh, take a quick break here, and then when we'll come back and we'll talk about the film. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> <laughs> 
will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> and he said, bark, bark, bark. And she said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on Show.podomatic. Dot com and doomedmoviethon.com Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, Richard Brad Jeffrey Naffa. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, slashes, G.I. Low and Horror. All right, now we're going to talk about the main event for this episode. Bring me the hit of Alfredo Garcia from 1974. This is Alfredo Garcia. He's about to become a very important man. We are looking for an old buddy of ours, a compadre named Alfredo Garcia. A private army is scouring three countries to find Alfredo Garcia. Well, don't worry if he's alive, I'll find him. Alive isn't our problem. Someone has offered a million dollars for his head. If I ever get my hands on him, I'm going to kill him. All that we require from you is physical proof that Garcia is dead. And we're prepared to settle for his head. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. This man will become an animal. Alfredo's our saint. He's a saint of our money. I want to take it to him. I love you. This woman's dreams of love 
will be destroyed. I've been here before. You don't know the way. Innocent people will suffer. Without Alfredo's help, we can do anything, honey. Holy ground will be desecrated. You don't want me to be part of that, do you? You are a part of it. 25 people will die. Just being together is enough. No, it's not, baby. All because of Alfredo Garcia. And only one man really knows why. Kill him. Sam Peckinpah. Director of the greatest adventure films of our time has made possibly his most powerful and startling motion picture. Directed by Sam Peckinpah, written by Frank Kowalski, who who did the story, uh, and Sam Peckinpah. And then Sam Peckinpah and Gordon T. Dawson worked on the script and screenplay for this, uh, starring Warren Oates as Benny, Isela Vega as Alita, Robert Weber as Sappensley, Gig Young as Quill, Helmut Dantin as Max, Emilio Fernandez as El Jefe, Chris Christopherson as Biker, Donnie Fritz as John, and Janine Maldonado. Maldonado. Donado? Okay, whatever. As Teresa. Too many Ds. Fuck me up. Um, (laughs) uh, And too much scotch as well. Daniel, want to give us a little synopsis there, please? Sure. I didn't write anything, and the uh, version on Wikipedia is way too long, but basically this is a story of... It starts off with Teresa, who's a pregnant teenager, whose dad is some, like, big drug lord or something, who finds out she's pregnant mm-hmm. <laughs> or realize, but he wants to know who the father is he tortures her to find out who the father is she says it's Alfredo Garcia and then he puts a bounty on Alfredo Garcia's head for a million dollars it turns out our hero Benny, I put hero in quotes there yeah. um, kind of knows who this guy is, his girlfriend apparently was dating him for a while, went on a three day bender with him cheating on our hero Benny, he's played by Warren Oates and uh, went off with this guy and probably was in love with him and more in love with him than with our lead, um, which kind of becomes an issue. Anyway, he goes off with her to uh, find out. It turns out the guy's dead. So it's going to be really easy to get his head and take it back to the to the bad guys to get the what he thinks is only $10,000. Once they get to the grave, Benny gets a smash in the head with a shovel. He wakes up. His girlfriend is dead next to him. The head is gone. And then he goes on a pursuit to get the head and then to take it back to the bad guy. And at the end, everybody dies. Yep. So that's the movie. <laughs> I'm sorry I did not write a detailed synopsis, but that's literally the movie. <laughs> yeah. At least that's the that's the plot. I will, I will leave it at that. There's more to the movie than that, but that's, a, that's the plot. Oh, and uh, rape happens uh, for no reason about uh, a third of the way in. Mm-hmm. Yes, I assume this is a uh, first-time watch for you for the podcast. Uh, no, actually, I had seen this about 10 years ago. Oh, really? Ago, okay. Yeah, yeah, I had seen this before. Okay, so uh, I'll let you get into your initial thoughts on this one, then. I liked this a lot more on the first watch than on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it that. The first time I watched this was a Netflix rental. You know, I, I watched it. I was I found it really involving. I really liked the uh, the pacing of it, this, this sort of a slightly languid structure. I really loved the way it shot. I love Peck and Paul's direction. I really love the performances, and I still love the performances. Yeah. Uh, rewatching it, kind of knowing what, what the 
you know, kind of where the movie goes, it lost a lot of its dramatic heft for me. Mm-hmm. I find myself still kind of uh, involved with uh, Oates' performance, uh, particularly in the second half once it's just him kind of talking to the head. Yeah. Because that's kind of what ends up happening is he gets the head and then he's kind of sitting around for, I mean, for roughly 30 minutes of the movie, it's him just like talking to the fucking head. Yeah. That stuff is really good. That's that's uh, Warren Oates in, uh, in his straight-up Peckinpah impersonation, mm-hmm. you know, about 75% drunk through the entire process. Uh, that stuff is really enjoyable. I don't actually don't know if Oates was drunk, but that was definitely a peck and pause. Like during the, he was he was in full stage alcoholism during the right. making of this. Movie. So uh, I don't know. I found I found I enjoyed it, but I don't know that I have more to say about it. Quite honestly, All right. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get into stuff, but uh, yeah, it's de- if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeing, particularly if you're a fan of peck and paw. But man, it's. Uh, it did not kind of hold up for me on a second watch. Okay. You're, you're definitely right that uh, Oates is doing a, a peck and palm impersonation here. I don't know how much drinking Oates did on, on the uh, set. I imagine there was some because he and peck and were kind of drinking and drug buddies to, to a certain extent. Um, and peck and was uh, of course, as you said, full into his alcoholism at this point. This was sort of his most personal picture in some ways, but it was also kind of a disaster on the set where it was, you know, he would be constantly showing up drunk or just not showing up at all to shoot. Um, <clears throat> apparently, Warren Oates introduced uh, Peck and Paw to cocaine on the shooting of this uh, this thing. So that might tell you some things. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a movie that Peck and Paw decided to move the production to Mexico and... Uh, decided to uh, shun the big studios as as much as he could because he never got final cut on any of his other movies. This is the one movie where he actually got final cut and shot it the way he wanted to shoot it. And it's probably if if you know uh, Peck and Paw to any sort of degree, it's it's really kind of his most personal film in in a lot of ways. And it might speak yeah. for why it's so messed up because Peck and Paw was such a messed up guy himself because. He's kind of putting himself on screen here through war notes. Like he's he's about fifty percent Peck and Paw. He's about ten uh, percent uh, war notes, and then he's probably about forty percent Humphrey Bogart impersonation. Uh, <laughs> there, there's even allusions in the script to uh, Treasure Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yep, Fred C. Dobbs. Yeah, Fred C. Dobbs. Yeah. I caught that. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like this one a lot. It's it's one of my uh, all time favorite films. I like it's it's sort of uh, a lot. I think a lot of people mi- misread this as just uh, Peck and Paw glorifying violence and macho behavior and 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 things like that. When really this is, I think, is kind of a nice little takedown of of those sort of attitudes and uh, where they lead people. Um, if you watch this film, almost everyone who has these sort of macho attributes, this sort of machismo, it, it just leads to their end. It just, it just yeah. Uh, Benny especially. Well, well, Straw Dogs is definitely kind of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, um, but but I think this is, I mean, it's interesting that this comes just a, a couple of years after Straw Dogs because mm-hmm. this is kind of a, a little bit of a repudiation of those kinds of ideas um, just because... Not not just that it leads to his end, but just he's so fucking pathetic, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's 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 a nihilistic kind of film in that it is. Look at all these assholes; they're all just going to uh, sit and kill each other, and they're just you know th- there is no hope for anyone here, basically. Yeah. And the film definitely wallows in that, and that I mean that's its artistic 
however much we might you know talk about that being realistic that's that's certainly um a valid artistic kind of place to be but to say that this is like glorifying violence i don't think this glorifies violence no. at all um i think this is definitely i mean you know i, I think you could charge peck and paw with that but not here i don't think this is that movie at all i, I would definitely say he's uh, sensationalized violence and i mean with the the sort of slow motion stuff that he's well known for uh, that yeah. that's sort of went sort of far in in strengthening that argument but yeah here violence is all short and ugly and and it never leads to anything good and benny's just this pathetic guy who's trying to live up to this macho image that he kind of thinks he needs to have and he's constantly trying to play up to it and i mean it it just basically leads him almost to like a kind of a shakespearean tragedy where his obsession with uh with that and with his own jealousy he never actually realizes what he, what he actually has and what he could walk away with at any time and you know live happily uh he just kind of he dooms himself he dooms alita uh, when all she wants to do is run off with him and get married, he, she doesn't care if she if he's fucking poor and pathetic. He because she, she knows him, so for some reason she loves him. I can't uh, I can't I can't quite fathom why, uh, because it seems like she could do a lot better. But for some reason she she just wants to dissuade him through like the first half of the movie. She's constantly trying to get him to get off this kick of uh, Alfredo Garcia. Like, right at the beginning, he doesn't even really tell her why they're going to his grave. He he, he seems like he's trying to play it off, like, I gotta know he's dead, so uh, I'll know that you truly do love me. And he, he finally uh, lets her know, yeah, we gotta take this guy's head and take it to these bad guys and, and show it to him, and it's our ticket out of here. And even then, she's, let's not do that. Let's just get married and get out of the country and and take our chances. Well, I kind of get the feeling that she's, I mean, she's just as fucked up as he is, mm -hmm. right? you know, she's matching him drink for drink, you know, yeah. nothing else. She's very much in that, in that world and tougher than he is mm -hmm. because, you know, during the rape sequence, I mean, we'll just, I mean, Chris Christopherson, rapist is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's potential rapist, but uh, he doesn't, uh, he can't quite perform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there is that, but uh, there is the you know basically he's one of the two bikers who shows up. Yeah, and then there's this kind of a fairly extended sequence where uh, at first they're they're kind of just being obnoxious, and then it kind of turns into a rape, which she does the acquiesce just to kind of make it over sort of thing, and mm -hmm. she has a lot of dialogue towards um, Benny. I mean, she says uh, you know uh, I forget I forget exactly what it is, it's but like basically I've, you know I've... I, I've been through this before. You yeah. haven't. Yeah, you know? and um, it, there really is this sense of like uh, Benny's kind of pretending to be a tough guy, mm -hmm. but it's very obvious he's not really a tough guy. He's just kind of a sad sack. I mean, he's he's almost a Willie Loman figure, you know, mm -hmm. like he's just trying to to go through the motions to try to get this big score, which isn't even that big a score on the scale of things. Right. And then everything turns out badly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because. Uh... Chris Christopherson tries to like initiate the rape by basically dominating Alita, you know, trying. Ooh, it's okay. That was just my air conditioner. Okay, uh, I, th I thought uh, some uh, little toy uh, fired up there or something. Um, nope. 
<laughs> That's my air conditioner. It was. It was my air conditioner. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, he, he tries to... It, it's it's kind of it's kind of ambiguous, like, how the scene plays out. Like, you can either... You can sort of interpret it in different ways. Uh, I, I think maybe that's one of the biggest flaws of the film, actually, is that it doesn't quite get its point across with that scene, which is one of the key scenes in the film. So, to if I was to point out, like, a major flaw in this, it's, it's probably... It leaves that a little too ambiguous, but... Wait a minute, you mean Peckinpah didn't quite understand his female characters? You don't say. <laughs> she won't take uh, Chris- Christopherson's shit. She won't be humiliated or dominated by him. And it seems like that kind of standing up to him makes it... He can't perform. Like, he, yeah. he just becomes impotent. And, and But then she seems to mm-hmm. have sympathy for him, almost, and... You can either either play it she's having sympathy for him or that uh, she senses that Christopherson, who walks off to mope there with his gun for a moment, maybe she kind of, kind of senses that he's going to probably rage out and kill them both. So it almost feels like she's, she's trying to initiate sex at that point to maybe save her and Benny. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely read it as she's... She's not really into it. She's acquiescing as in a way and kind of encouraging it as a way of making the best of a terrible situation. I mean, it is right. kind of applying to that nihilistic, like, sometimes this is all you can do. And, in, and I mean, in some cases, I mean, that's a heroic thing to do, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some terrible gender politics that's just built into this film. Um, but, like, reading it that way is like, this is, this is a heroic moment for her, and I'm really happy to read it that way. Honestly, I wish that... Uh, he had played a little bit more like Cardinal in um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. Who, uh, I mean, that scene is similar, but a much kind of better version just because there's more dialogue and you kind of get a be- much better sense in terms of um, this is the decision she's making openly. You know? Yeah. Whereas I think this, it becomes a, a lot more problematic just because it's ambiguous exactly how we're supposed to feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that does not at all come back in another <laughs> Peck and Pop movie where there's a very ambiguous rape sequence, not in the slightest. Um, <laughs> he was writing this as he was filming Straw Dogs in England, right. so a lot of the same sort of ideas were probably floating in his head at the time. And of course, the the, the final product is also an end result of binge drinking and <laughs> right. cocaine I use. Mean, I was, I was, I'm probably a little bit too harsh on it. It's not that I, I mean, I really love the way this looks. I love the kind of location shooting in Mexico. Yeah. I love how harsh it is. I love a lot of the performances. I really love all the performances. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I love all the performances. I do think it's well made. I love the action sequences. I love how uh, unforgiving they are. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he does... Um, it's interesting. Peckinpah does uh, multiple camera setups, but he doesn't do a lot of takes. So, right. And he does do cuts between the different cameras as the action is going on. And it's, it's usually... It starts regular motion and then it cuts to a slow motion shot uh from a different angle it's kind of neat that way in that everything sort of still flows naturally but you're you're switching from the the regular speed action to the slow motion and you're not you're not getting a lot of different takes on it it's it's all pretty much one take for the most part it it all looks really good and it all feels kind of more naturalistic in in a way like yeah, it's yeah. real more realistic almost almost minimalistic in, yeah. in the way it's shot even the um some of the stuff I really love are the uh, the car crash sequences. There are a couple of uh, mm. kind of cool car crash moments, um, which are really gorgeous in the film, but not in an overstated way. You know, not in a like killing them softly way. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> this, is this two episodes now in a row that we brought that up? 
Yeah, I, I did that intentionally just to uh, just to get us upset. God damn it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, this might have been slightly middling, as it, but it's better than killing them softly. So, <laughs> yeah, but it it is neat how it like Peck and He did know Mexico pretty well, and he tried to give it like an authentic sort of rural Mexican feel, like the, the more poverty stricken uh, rural Mexico here, with, with all these little small little scattered villages and and uh, all these people with these functional cars that their bodies are just totally beat the fuck up though like, yeah it, like they just man benny's impala just goes through shit <laughs> halfway through the film and then and, and the uh the car that the family of Alfredo garcia uh follows him in is even worse <laughs> i don't even know how the fuck it it fucking operates it's it's so crunched up it looks like a squashed tuna can of some sort but yeah i i, I like that i like how um it it is like really beautiful countryside and but he it doesn't he doesn't make it like a travel log either it's it's not like oh look how beautiful mexico is it just becomes part of the background and i mean it, it looks like it looks like these two kind of loser low life characters kind of driving through the country and the country right. is beautiful and they i mean and for a while it does kind of seem like oh it's kind of a date movie you know yeah <laughs> like, well yeah it it, it um, is like that because it's got those really nice those like really nice scenes where they're having the picnic and they're just hanging out and they're singing songs. I mean, she's, she's like playing the guitar while they're driving and sort mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, you know, when they're talking about. It. I mean, it's a it's it's sort of a relationship movie in that first half. Well, I mean, it's about these two characters. Well, their chemistry is really good. Like, yeah. uh, I'm. Oh, I'm, I love I love her in this movie. You yeah. know what I love about her? She's obviously a model, but she doesn't look like a model. Right. Well, she, she looks like. I mean, they haven't like made her up in the way that because I mean she did Playboy right after this, mm-hmm. um, or like a year after this or something, and uh, you know you can find those images online, and she's fucking gorgeous. But I mean, I was watching this and going like, I mean, she's thirty four here. I mean, I did look, she's like thirty four, thirty five, something like that. So it's not like oh she's old, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm not trying to like criticize her for that, and I'm not trying to be that guy, but she doesn't look like the twenty three year old ingenue that you would kind of get out of a. Uh, you know, other movies of this type, you know. Right. Um, she definitely looks like someone who is, might be a romantic partner to Warren Oates' character here. Yeah, no, she she authentically looks the part. Like, she just looks like a person you would expect to meet in real life who just happens to be stunningly beautiful. Just She's just not done. She doesn't have her hair done up. She's not right. wearing makeup, right? And she doesn't come off as what the obvious thing would be to do is to uh, hire, like, uh, like a really thin sexy supermodel type and and put her in the role and uh you know make it way too obvious that she's 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 not actually this character she's you know just someone they hired for the part right um, right and yeah I, I love the chemistry between the two i mean i could almost she, she's not like the girl from revolver sort of thing no yeah that's true not yeah. that, not that there's something i mean actually i kept thinking of revolver just because of the like clear drunken performance (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean as good as revolver is and as good as this is you know they're they are kind of similar thematically in some ways but but very different films she's never quite the the level of eye candy that she might be in in a lesser film Mm -hmm. and she's never quite the level of peril monkey you know it's not like she's she's taken off to be raped and like we fear for her i get the sense she knows what she's doing she knows how to handle herself she's really got it under control although you know it's probably good that you know warren just comes by and kills the guy (laughs) 
but at the same time, it's you know I don't I don't feel like you know he has to come rescue her. No, you know, and uh, in a lot of ways, she's my favorite character in the film. And then when she dies, it, it does. Uh, she's killed off screen, literally off mm-hmm. screen. You know, we just yeah. kind of he just kind of wakes up in a grave next to her, and she's dead. For me, I get the sense that he's not no so much mourning the relationship as much as he's mourning how terrible he kind of has been. You know? Yeah, no. He's... And um, he, it's not like he owes it to Alfredo Garcia as much as like, well, we both shared something, and so I'm just gonna go get even. But it's not even I'm I'm gonna get even. It's it's like he 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 hates himself for doing this to right. the world. You know? Yeah, his revenge is kind of revenge on himself as well um but yeah the the performances between the two are really good i I just like how she really jumps into it you can tell that she's having like a lot of fun just Mm -hmm. just working with with oats and it it really does come off as a as almost like they were a couple you know in real life what do you think of our two i don't want to say hitmen but they're they're the two uh two criminals who come in and question Vinny early on in the film uh robert weber and gig young I really like these guys. It's one of those guys who has the uh, Fred C. Dobbs moment, you know, where he's mm-hmm. uh, saying, I'm Bogart from Treasure Sierra Madre, yeah. which is another film about, uh, you know, an American in Mexico mm-hmm. doing uh, morally ambiguous things. <laughs> <What is that? laughs> yeah. So the idea that we're not only uh, name checking Bogart, but we're name checking, you know, that same kind of like general structure is kind of interesting. I kind of get the, like they've been hunting around there. They're perfectly willing to let somebody else do the dirty work, you know? Yeah. They're, and, they're middle. They're middlemen, kind of. And I mean, right. And what's interesting is like they're like like Warren Oates kind of treats them as they're the big badass guys with a lot of money, you mm-hmm. know. But really, they're exactly what you say. They're the middlemen. They're they're just the guys who are, you know, they're contracting out to him, and yeah. they're just gonna take the head and then like trade it up for you know a million dollars, and he's only getting ten grand out of it. Yeah. So um, that that's kind of an interesting dynamic. To where it just shows you like what a low life and what a nobody um, Benny is. Yeah, because he's willing to do this for for nothing in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they're both. I think there was a line there somewhere. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering, but I get the impression that Sappensley and Quill were, uh, and these are the two characters were uh, kind of. They've been trying to search around for like about a couple months, and they haven't found anything. Right. And and I mean. El, El Jefe puts out uh, sort of a general bounty on Alfredo Garcia, who, by the way, was sort of like the guy he was grooming to to be his successor until before he knocked up his daughter. <laughs> right. So, but, whoops. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Uh, the, these two go around looking and they don't find anything. Then there's the other two hitmen as well, who are the lower level ones that are, that are sort of tailing uh, Benny. Yeah, uh, to see where he goes. It's, it's interesting. These two, they only come in like briefly at the beginning of the film. There's that shocking scene where Robert Weber's character uh, just flat out elbows a, a hooker trying to <laughs> trying to move right. in on him. <laughs> Remind um, me a little bit of the um, sequence in the the long good uh, the long good night, long goodbye, long goodbye. Right, they, but they, less they... violent, ironically. That the Altman film has the more violent <laughs> scene right. in the second well, part. I mean, they they make their point really quick. I mean, they they set up the menace of these two characters like really well, just just with that one action. And uh, with Gig Young's character, he he sort of comes off this kind of tired sadist almost, like the way he yep. just sort of smiles. He's just got this sort of weight of the world, kind of bored by everything. And, and well, and there's the there's the you don't want to you don't want to disappoint us. Yeah, you know, if we're 
we're gonna give you. I mean, we're a little. We give you two hundred dollars for like traveling money for like expenses to go like bring us the head, and like if you don't find it in four days, we're gonna come after you, sort yeah. of thing. And you totally get that that's gonna happen, you know. Yeah. Despite and... the fact that I mean, other than like that one punch or that one elbow that you know puts the woman on the ground, you don't really see them do anything else that's at all you know, badass or violent or anything. You know, they, they they sell it through the performances. You don't have to get the sort of details of what's what's really going on here. Yeah, it's only uh, near the end there where they finally do make good on their promise and catch up with Benny. Yeah. And, and, of course, Benny has also been caught up by uh, Alfredo Garcia's family. <laughs> then they have that tour bus come in. <laughs> everyone's pointing guns at Benny and then that tour bus is coming and they immediately put their guns away and, and they move the cars out of the road to let them pass by and then oh, there, there's there's Gig Young and Robert Weber all of a sudden and you see what badasses they really are and you also see that they're gay lovers do you? yeah did you, did you not get the uh, did you not get the subtext that those two were uh, gay lovers? I completely missed that subtext. I now need to go uh, rewatch this film. Apparently, uh, if you, if you notice uh, Robert Weber's character, um, he's he's the one of the uh, the grayer hair. Gig Young's the one of the darker hair, the the tired saddest. As yeah, I, yeah, I said, yeah. um, when he gets killed, can you can see emotion finally come out of uh, oh. Robert Weber's character? And the last thing he's focused on is Quill. He walks over to him after uh, Benny shoots him. And he, he walks over to possibly, you know, lay down beside him and, and hold him in his arms or whatever. But of course, Benny then finishes him off. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're, yeah. I get, I get that. I, I just uh, didn't process it quite on that level. But you're right. There is a tenderness between these two characters. That's interesting. Yeah, it was actually, uh, it was actually a choice by Robert Weber. He was, um, he had an idea that these two were ambiguously gay. Uh, I guess, but uh, so I mean that, that's actually more why they and plus they're just they're psychos, right? But right. <laughs> so that's that's sort of why they they treat the hooker that way when when she comes up to him on the, at the bar there, he just drops the elbow right in her face, right? Because uh, like I don't I don't care about you. I've got my lovers right here. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I get that. Um, Gay people, evil. Yeah, yeah, got it. yeah. Right. That that's the thing. It's like okay, it's it's the seventies. Gay people are evil. <laughs> <laughs> they they have they have to be uh they have to be hitmen they have to be uh gay people are either funny or or psychopaths it's one psychopaths. or the other yeah it's, it's like the uh gay hitmen in uh one of the James Bond films i think it's diamonds are forever mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Swishy and dangerous. Ooh. Swishy and dangerous, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting uh, talking about the family of Alfredo Garcia that follows Benny around. When you first meet up with him, like when they arrive at the town there to find Alfredo's grave, this, this whole town is basically, or even if you could call it a town, it's more like a small little hamlet. Yeah, it's a little village. It's not, yeah. I mean, it's... I, I, it's pretty much the entire family living there. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, I think that's pretty much the population of the whole place is just the entire family living there. So when it starts out, there's a funeral going on for a little kid, like a baby, like a mini coffin. Alfredo Garcia just died earlier. This whole family catches up with Benny and gets massacred, except for the oldest guy, the, <laughs> the oldest generation. So he's the only one left. The oldest generation just saw his entire family all the generations after his get wiped out within like a span of a week or something. 
Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I and and there's a there's a lot of black comedy in that that, that mm-hmm. the guy's kind of standing there and he's the one guy and he's kind of got this like stance where he's just waiting to be shot and yeah. he's not, which yeah. is um yeah. But you're right, there is a uh, there is a, a real uh, kind of dark heart to that because this guy just kind of watched everybody he knows and loves just be murdered. Yeah, I, I find it interesting um, the use of the Spanish language here mm-hmm. because after the kind of opening sequence where everything is in Spanish, where um, Teresa is asked to you know who who did this and that sort of thing, you know where you sort of have to translate it to get what's going on and to understand what the plot's going to be about. Um, right. They don't translate any of the Spanish. There are no subtitles to the rest of the film. And, uh, you know, particularly in that sequence where Elena is kind of talking to the uh, the matriarch. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just kind of get a few words here and there, and then you get the word gringo. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then Warren Oates goes, you know, what's she saying? He's like, uh, I think we should leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd get it, uh, it sort of switches focus to uh, basically puts you in Benny's shoes where, you know, he's he's an expatriate who's out of his fucking, out of his fucking depth here. He doesn't understand the language that well. So you, Although you he's get... supposed to have been there for six years or something. So yeah, it's weird. I mean, you think he would have picked it up, but I mean, maybe maybe it's just like he's just that drunk all the time to where he's yeah. just, he doesn't, you know, Dos Cerveza is like all he really had to know. Although he does know the word for flies. We learned that. But yeah. he has to think about it, like, oh, God, what does that mean? Flies, yeah. flies. Okay, okay, let me get some ice. Let me get some ice. <laughs> fresca, oh, yeah. fresca. <laughs> yeah, they actually had meat in, in that bag to actually get real flies. So, like, when he's I, – I can't imagine how many times he had to drive in that car with just flies caked all over him and the inside yeah. of the car and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's pretty uh, that's pretty horrifying. Although, you know, I kept, I kept thinking on this watch, you know, it was sort of on the um, – you know, a the dead cat story is not a bad story. No, you know? like that's a pretty good. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a dead cat. You know, okay, I get that. Also, we're in Mexico; it's got to be like 100 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, yeah. And C, put the damn thing in the trunk. Then yeah. the kid isn't gonna notice. You know, <laughs> like yeah, Benny's too out of it to really yeah to to know to know better to do. I that, mean, but... he's not he's not thinking he's not thinking straight. So I yeah. mean, that's fine. It was just sort of like one of those. Like, yeah, me, I would have been like, oh, yeah, dead cat. I'm going to throw it in the trunk now. Done. You yeah, the, the the dead cat story at least sounds like something plausible you could throw at a kid, and they'd, they'd like, kind of understand that, you know? Like, right, yeah. like you, you told an adult that, they'd look at you like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of get the feeling that, the, like, if this guy showed up, I mean, because also we're at this kind of, we're jumping around all over in this movie. You're like, yeah. he's... Uh, He's walking around like covered in literally grave dirt. Yeah, you know? like he he. This is this is not you know. You you can only imagine like what this guy smells like and what this guy looks like mm-hmm. um, in the middle of fucking nowhere. This gringo in the middle of fucking nowhere in Mexico. Like the <laughs> idea that like yeah, I've got a dead cat in a bag. It's like okay, yep, okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, you also imagine that like violence is not exactly uh, unknown to these people. Right. You know, I mean, you, know, you think about like the family and they all had you know rifles and, and machine guns and stuff. So I mean, there is this kind of um, these are people who know how to defend themselves, and these are people who are not strangers to this kind of thing. And so I kind of imagine, you know, oh, like, hey, yeah, my dead cat. And it's like, yeah, you're a dead cat. I get it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to ask too many questions. Just leave. Yeah, just know. crazy gringo, move on, please. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. yeah. some ice. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other one really nice joke I like in this uh, as well, uh, kind of I kind of popped for, was um, 
early on the two the two more bumbling hitmen that are tailing Benny. When when they start out, the one guy is drinking all the time. The the, the mm-hmm. guy is driving, but by the time Benny catches up with them, while they're changing they're changing the fucking tire, it's the other guy who's fucking drinking, and and the guy who was drinking is now having to change the tire because he was wasn't paying attention to what he was doing driving. Right. Yeah, I like that. So why do you get to drink all of a sudden? Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. I, I did. I did like that. I also, um, I, I really liked that street food taco the guy's eating. You know. Oh yeah. Was, uh, you know, I was I was sitting there. I, I I actually got a little bit of an appetite watching. I'm like, yeah, I could go for that right yeah, now. Yeah, it looks like, looks, that looks like it's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think like that? This is this is like we actually filmed this in Mexico. You could like that's that's probably just real street food. Yeah, that they was did available in 1974, and you know. Yeah, in all Mexico this. City. All this stuff was shot on like real locations. Like the the bar that they shot in was apparently like a real, like nothing was basically changed there for the most part. Um, I think yeah. the only kind of set dressing he did was he put up that fake dollar bill of Nixon's face on it in behind there. <laughs> nice. Uh, like there, there's a couple references to Nixon in this because of his disdain for Richard Nixon. So well deserved disdain. Yeah, yeah. he it was. I think it was like uh, the Watergate scandal that was partly one of the reasons why he decided to uh move to Mexico basically and uh and, and get out of the US he was he was so disgusted with that but uh you see that and then you see later on the uh, more corporate bad guys that he uh he brings the head to uh, one of them's reading a time magazine with Nixon's face on the cover right yeah so uh, it's it's not it's not hard to see what he's what he's trying to say there. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, I mean we've we've talked about this before a bit with uh, in the like night moves discussion and um, some of the other stuff about this. You know, the Nixon presidency kind of becomes this uh, symbol, like this turning point towards this like malaise and like American filmmaking in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is interesting that like this is happening at that exact moment. And uh, just look at how fucking nihilistic this is. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's got a it's got a bunch of different things from Peck and Paw's inner monologue, you know, going on all the different kind of things he hates, but it it all just boils up into this one big nihilistic kind of outburst. I mean, he's he's running off the failure of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which was just a big fucking mess for him. He had a, he had a lot of shit to work out in this film. Before we get to any trivia or anything like that, if you have any sort of final thoughts on this one. I don't. I feel like. I feel like. I mean. I don't know. Maybe I've damned with faint praise a little bit. I mean. I really. I do enjoy this film. Um, I'm enjoying talking about it. I really. I really enjoy kind of getting that perspective again. I think it maybe just uh, didn't hit me as viscerally on a second watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely a, a really, a really amazing film. It's really worth seeing. I think it's just kind of empty for me, maybe on a mm-hmm. second watch. Um, there's just there's just not much to kind of go and dig my teeth into. But it does have really great performances and a really great kind of central relationship. War Notes in particular is just fucking phenomenal in this, so uh, definitely check it out. I would probably personally rank War Notes as somewhere in the top ten of my favorite American actors of all time. He's really sort of unsung. He rarely ever got like a, a lead role, right? So right. this is one of his rare lead, lead roles, and he hits it out of the park. I just, I really do like a lot of this stuff. I'm a big Peckinpah fan, so I sort of... Maybe I get a little sucked into the uh, peck and paw-ish aspects of this film more, you know. I, I sort of maybe connect with it thematically a little bit more because I sort of know, well, know, but feel where he's going with it. So maybe right. my, my judgment's a little bit clouded. Well, responding to a filmmaker aesthetically is, is there's nothing, I mean, at all wrong with just kind of saying the aesthetics work for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, you know, I don't have any, any issue with that despite kind of being like, eh, 
you know, and I'll probably watch it again one day and go, oh, this is brilliant. I just it just hit me on the wrong you know week when I watched <laughs> it for the for the podcast. But I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good, gritty little crime tale. It reminds me of all the sort of uh, 1950s and 60s sort of uh, pulp crime stuff that, that I, yeah. I, I like reading. Uh, I mean, it, it really reminds me, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this author, but uh, John D. MacDonald. Really Another name. Another yeah. Name. I mean, he's the guy who wrote the source material for Cape Fear. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it feels a lot like his, his kind of stuff here, very kind of minimalist, realistic kind of crime films that uh, really strips away a lot of the uh, the glamour of the whole thing. Because most crimes are kind of just shitty little, like, deals like this. Right. I mean, you know, like, a lot, of, a lot of murders, a lot of murders for hire are just like, you know, some guy with a mullet getting paid $500 to go, like, knock somebody's husband off, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so just hit a couple little trivia things here. Uh, War notes to you know, sort of complete the Sam Peckinpah aspects of his of his character. Actually, borrowed one of Peckinpah's pairs of sunglasses that he would commonly use. Just, just and he wears it pretty much throughout the whole film too. It's like they they make a little thing of it where you know he he, he rarely takes them off, and when he does take them off and. He's he's always squinting, and he makes allusions to when people look at him, damn your eyes, you know. (laughs) He's even sleeping in them at one point. Yeah. I mentioned the Nixon stuff. James Coburn was offered the role of Benny and turned it down because he didn't like the script. Harry Dean Stanton was almost hired to do the Chris Christopherson role, which, man, I don't know. As much as I love Harry Dean Stanton, I don't know if that would work. I feel like... uh... Chris Christopherson in this, I kind of want to do a um, a three like a, a three movie sequence, and do this movie, Taxi Driver, and Six Pack because he's not actually in Taxi Driver, but uh, you know Robert De Niro gives Sybil Shepherd a Chris Christopherson album, right? Uh, in the after taking her to the porno theater, and then uh, once you get to Six Pack, that's just uh, the the like uh, family friendly comedy from the eighties that I watched a bunch that I haven't seen in twenty five years. But um, it's got to be a nice pair for bringing the head of Alfredo Garcia, right? Like <laughs> he he graduates from like raping women in Mexico and then goes off to be a uh, race car driver who uh, adopts six children. <laughs> That's kind of he he lives through this movie and goes off as the same character. He's just in like uh, incognito. Well, one I do want to watch at some point, um, which is another Peckinpah film, uh, Convoy. I've never seen that one. I haven't either. But that's that's a Chris Chris Christopherson film. But uh, I think at some point we'll cover uh, Pat Gary and Billy the Kid, where you really get to see Christopherson shine. Um, Peter Falk was offered the role of Benny, but he couldn't do it because of Columbo. And uh, man, that would have been again. That's another head scratcher for me trying to picture uh, Peter Falk doing the Benny character. I don't know. I just imagine him in the uh, Colombo garb, wearing uh, a big trench coat in Mexico. <laughs> wearing a big, wearing a big trench coat in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I kind of want him to do that, um, like as Colombo. Mm. <laughs> yes, Convoy is directed by Sam Peckinpah, and now I know we have to do it because Alan McGraw is in that. So uh, now we just have to. <laughs> Anything with Alan McGraw, man. Yeah. No, uh, Peter Falk as uh, as Benny. Like, yeah, no, I I totally get that, and I. Uh, that's just weird. Weird. <laughs> it's it, it's weird casting. I, I mean, you know, I just uh, I can only imagine that being the like we're gonna push it slightly more towards black comedy. Yeah. You know, as opposed to making it um quite as bleak as this is. That would be the you know if you if you wanted it to be a little bit jokier. 
than that. You, you cast Peter Falk. You just walk. You just shuffle around, asking everyone weird questions all the entire movie. It's just like, uh, yeah. Uh, have you seen a head? Como se dice Alfredo Garcia? You know, donde está la biblioteca? Yeah. The music was done by Jerry Fielding who's uh, done all kinds of stuff. Like He, he did the uh, Kolchak Night Stalker series. He did the Bronson film, The Mechanic. He did The Wild Bunch and Straw Dogs and The Killer Elite with Peckinpah. Uh, he did The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and The Big Sleep, too, around this time. So, and he's just another nice. one of these... Man, uh, when I was doing research for uh, the first episode of uh, Blood on the Tracks, which, by the way, will be coming out at the end of this month, our uh, soundtrack show, there was just a shit ton of, like... Just these really solid jazz guys that were all doing scores in this period. And he, and he's just yeah. another one of these. But uh, I, I do like the score for this. The one piece of music that I could find for this score, because it's really hard to track down, it, it kind of uh, draws from traditional like Andean folk music and stuff like that. It's pretty good stuff. Nice. Uh, budget for this was $1.5 million. Uh, there's no box office. There There is a rentals total worldwide of... Uh, two point one million, but uh, this was a box office bomb. Yeah, I mean, it it ended up on like a bunch of people's like worst films mm-hmm. of all time list, which people just didn't get it. I mean, that's just sort of the. I mean, that's just sort of the bottom. I line don't even. I don't even know if so much people didn't get it. Is that a lot of people were just kind of anti Peck and Paw at this point too? Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, yeah. he didn't. He didn't help himself, of course, because he was constantly. Uh, fucking on the studios and on the uh, media and, and the critics and stuff like that is himself. I mean, he he kind of he was very antagonistic towards them. So it it only makes sense that they'd be all antagonistic towards him as well. You know. Yeah. DVD info for this one. You can get what I own, the MGM Region One DVD from 2005. It's really good. It's got some uh, Peck and Paw scholars on a nice little commentary track. That's uh, fairly good. You can get the Twilight Time Region Free Blu-ray that was released in 2014, and there was an expanded edition in 2016, and those are your best bets. There, There is an Arrow Blu-ray that's Region B, but uh, that's one of those limited to, like, five-copy things that you... <laughs> Good luck finding it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Let's make these films yeah. harder to find. Yeah. Great job. Uh, yeah, so I guess we're done for uh, old Alfredo Garcia. Yeah, yep. short and sweet. I mean, I, I feel I feel like, uh, you know, Mike Murphy's going to love us, although we spent the first 25 minutes not talking about uh, bringing the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yeah, so, well, you know. uh, when we finally have him on the podcast, we'll uh, we'll time him if uh, he has anything he's watched in the last little while, and then we'll criticize him if he takes too yeah, long. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. So next week potentially is going to be White Heat and Night in the City. And with with Kit Power, uh, we're we'll, we're hoping to uh, get that put together. If not, we'll find something else on our on our on our crime film list that we were supposed to have done by now, but we keep getting delayed. Yeah. But you know, hey, it's great. But, uh, no, no, yeah, no, no problems. And eventually, we're gonna get to episode one hundred, which will be Night of the Living Dead yes. live. Not really live, but like a commentary yeah. track. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Daniel, tell people where they can find you. Um, check me out. Just find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. I'm doing stuff. Uh, oh, Wrong With Authority is a podcast that I'm doing, uh, roughly monthly, um, with, uh, Kip Power and Jack Graham and, um, James Murphy. 
there will be an episode upcoming, uh, which will be about the Wolf of Wall Street and the Big Short. So we'll get to talk about Wall Street shenanigans and a little bit about math and a lot about um, assholes who make a lot of money. <laughs> so uh, look forward to that. That won't that won't be up by the time this comes up, but it will be up very shortly. I know Kit's furiously working on the editing on that now, so uh, hopefully that will uh, be up fairly soon. So go check that out. It's at wrongwithauthority.co.uk, I think, is the uh, website. So go check it out. Didn't he say uh, all compiled? That's like a four-hour podcast right now. Okay. Yeah, that's like that's like four and a half hours um, all told. And like you fuckers would better enjoy it because we have been trying to get this thing recorded <laughs> and forever because uh, we kept running into technical issues and uh, scheduling issues and. Yeah, I mean it's a little, this this thing has been in process for uh, for literally about two months at this point. So, yeah, uh, they've they've been working like madmen on it. I've been I've been uh, a party to all the uh, back back channel the back channel yeah. conversations. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a little secret back channel thing where all of us are like sitting and talking about stuff all the time. And uh, lately, it's 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 just kind of um, lots of uh, lots of political conversation, which is totally not expected from us. It's been fun times, and then suddenly it's like, hey, are we getting a podcast tonight? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We should put on a podcast. It's great. I was I was noticing like, oh shit, my connection's off. Are you guys still on? <laughs> uh, I'll be back on in a minute. I'm trying to connect now. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've we've been having Skype problems on Wrong with Authority. It's it's not been it's not been such a fun time. For us, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join our Facebook group. It's the single best way to get in touch with us. And until then, we will see you guys later. Thank you for joining me, Daniel. Always always great to be here. Yeah, and uh, thank you for listening, guys. We'll be back.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>